0: You are listening to The Apex Hour hosted by Ryan Paul on KSUU Thunder 91.1. This show allows more personal time with our guests, allowing them to give us their stories and opinions. We will also give you new music to listen to, hoping you enjoy some new sounds and genres. Welcome to this episode of The Apex Hour.
1: And welcome back to the Apex Radio Hour. I am producer Sophia Javaj, and today I am joined with Apex director and professor of history, Ryan Paul, and our special guest, Sarah Ford. I'll turn it over to you, Ryan.
2: Thank you, Sophie. And first, can I say, uh, I think I speak for both Evan and myself, that we are grateful. That you are back with us in the studio. It's good to be back. We are so happy to to have you here. So we are here with the absolutely amazing and incredible and wonderful Sarah Ford, graphic designer, uh, illustrator, photographer, uh, amazing person of the world and universe. So Sarah, uh, we should mention that you're here on campus talking about your primary vocation is as a designer of movie posters. Mm-hmm correct? So I always like to start with a question about kind of how we get to now. So can you tell me a little bit about where you're from and and how you got to do what you do?
3: Yeah, sure. Thank you so much for having me, and I'm so happy to be here. Um, I started out in Michigan outside of the Lansing area, and I went to high school. I was in a publication program where I did newspaper and yearbook work, Um, had a really great high school teacher for that. And when I graduated high school, it was a bit tricky to figure out which direction to go to. I had a hard time even graduating high school, to be honest, and I ended up at community college for three years taking random art classes, whatever sounded interesting, and getting some of my prerequisites out of the way. And then from there, I went to art school, where I met uh, Professor Christopher Graves, and he was my professor then. I was able to get a scholarship to go to art school because of my community college work. and. Eventually, drove across the country to hopefully get a job opportunity that was offered and landed in Los Angeles. So,
2: I mean, it, correct me if I'm wrong, but movie poster design seems to be kind of a a niche thing. I mm-hmm. mean, do, do people grow up and so I mean, when you were taking art classes and like, did you think, you know what I could do? I could do that.
3: Never, never once did that cross my mind. <laughs> I, um, I did, I do have one memory of watching a movie with a friend and while we were in the movie theater, I looked over at him and I said, I know one day I'm going to do the part that comes before the movie. And I think I was more referring to like the logos that showed up or the trailer, but I didn't know what that was called. So I didn't even name it. And so that's kind of hangs in my mind. It's like, oh, that was interesting inkling into actually what I do now. that maybe I had a hint of. But I didn't know there was such a thing as movie poster design at the time.
2: So you, you've used this term before, as we were talking earlier, that, that I was unfamiliar with. But you used the term key art. Mm-hmm. W- w- will you define that for me, please?
3: Yeah. So key art is um, art specifically made for a movie poster or for a movie it's the one sheet size so it's just literally one sheet of paper that's um, 27 by 41 inches and key art is the look or the brand of the entire film but it starts out in a one sheet and then the key art will then maybe move into a billboard format or another horizontal format of some kind but it is the look of the poster which is then branding the whole film
2: so we we you've talked about the the way streaming at some point has changed mm-hmm. this this idea of of images. Can you comment on that a little bit about how you've seen those changes?
3: yeah, sure uh it's so interesting, like especially being in the field while streaming came into play um all of a sudden it was like oh, we're not just designing the poster for outdoor billboards or bus sides and the movie theater. Now we have to think about how this one image will look on a site next to a bunch of other images, and you're scrolling past them, and they're much smaller. So everything sort of changed pretty quickly. I feel like it was probably a couple of years where we were really grappling with like, okay, so now it's only going to be this tiny one-inch by one-inch square rectangle from thinking of it as something hanging on a wall that was much larger. Um, changed everything. So
2: I, I'm interested in this idea of, you know, oftentimes we we think of a movie poster sometimes either as an afterthought or as just we just took a couple pictures from the movie and slapped it on. I mean, can you talk about, I mean, there are people who really care about yeah. what the poster looks like. I mean, obviously you do because yeah. you get paid for it. But But, I mean, this is a a critical piece of a film, right?
3: Yeah, yeah. It's so critical that a lot of times the process of making the movie theater starts before or while the film is being made. So we're already thinking of it maybe even before people are cast into the movie. We're already trying to think about what will it look like, what are we selling, who was going to come watch it, and it's determining – it's in play with the movie. So the movie poster and the director – and the studio, they're all trying to figure out what is the whole tone of the movie. So the poster is very much alive for while, the, while the show or the movie is being made. And it's developing. So, and there's a lot of time and process that goes into figuring out exactly what that will look like.
2: So is there ever an example where you've looked at a poster and said, oh, that's not like the movie at all?
3: Yeah. Uh, good question. Let me think of one. I'm sure there has. There's been actually times where I thought, oh, the movie's a lot better than that poster or that poster was really good and that movie was not as good. So it's happened in all the directions. I'm um, try to think of an example. Hmm. The Shadow. The Shadow. It's
2: a great movie, but the poster was better <laughs> than the movie for sure. This
3: happens all the time. Yeah. So...
2: D- do you find nowadays that the the image of the film the, the poster or the lo- whatever you're you're creating is i guess my question is historically we know what the poster was but you're creating more than just that you're creating images of the film in multiple different versions that
3: they'll use well you first create the first version which is the key art and that's why it's named the key art um so that's determining what else will be made but you're in the process of making the key art you are doing multiple versions to figure out what that is does that make sense yeah yeah Yeah. yeah.
2: so i mean i guess my other question is how does this how does this work right like you just say oh you know i hear this you read the trade publications and say oh i see Martin Scorsese is making a film. I'll just write him and see if I could do the poster. Mm. I mean, how does all of this come about?
3: Yeah, that would be really interesting if Martin Scorsese gave me a call. <laughs> That's never happened. <laughs> but what has happened is um, a studio exec from the studio who works with Martin Scorsese, they will call the agency, advertising agency. So there's multiple entertainment advertising agencies who has a whole team of people. And then I'll work on that team of people with the agency to figure out what the film is. And a lot of times the studio will then send over a creative brief. And the creative brief will have all the bullet points of what information we have, what direction they may want to go, or what, sometimes just what direction they don't want to go. Like, oh, we've already done this, seen this before, we need something new. So we take in that information along with maybe a script or some images from the show and start to formulate what it could be like. Sometimes it's very little information to go off of. And that's that's a little harder. It's like a puzzle without the pieces.
2: Yeah, so or like putting the pieces together without the image. Yeah,
3: making up the image. Yeah. Mm.
2: So, who gets the final say? Who says this is the poster I want?
3: Um, the usually the studio executives do. Oh, so it's not yeah. the creative people. Correct. It's the mark I guess the marketing marketing, marketing mm-hmm. isn't
2: not uncreative, but it's not the suits
3: Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is.
2: They get to decide what what they want. Yeah,
3: they get to decide. Sometimes they will have um, a test group and run the art, different arts. Maybe they like five different pieces of art and they can't decide. They might have a test group of people and have them choose and they figure it out that way. I've heard recently that they're also using AI to help figure out, um, instead of actual human test groups, having AI test groups.
2: So like logarithms something like that. Like Amazon or Facebook to decide what we think the best poster will look like. Uh
3: Uh-huh. Something like I'm along those lines. I'm not exactly clear yet, but I know it's not (laughs) human (laughs) contact. Wow. So we'll see what happens. That's
2: crazy. Yeah. So so the the days of the I mean, are are there are there like movie poster artists? Like are you know, like there's the the comic book artists that you you know. Oh, this is the person. If I go to a convention, I wanna, I wanna get this person's autograph. I mean, what are you? Are there people like that now that are still like doing that stuff?
3: Yeah, there's a few, but they still are getting hired by the agencies usually. So the agency still has you're working together as a team with the agency and still presenting multiple ideas as all the artists as a group. Some people um, may ha- so when you get a poster chosen that's called the finish and so some people might have more finishes than other people and kind of have their own style that they've developed like my friend doug Tomash has done a lot of really great posters and won a lot of awards and his style and knowing him is pretty recognizable so that can happen
2: oh there's awards there's like movie poster yeah Oscars?
3: the clio awards yeah it's a huge event every year and um Lots of different... Ro- There's also the Pro Max Awards. There's a few different categories.
2: That's juried, and they just decide mm-hmm. the, the the best movie poster.
3: Yeah, they have the number one movie poster, similar to the Oscars, you know.
2: But it's not always the number one movie. Correct. Like, you could have a really super cool movie poster. Yes. But your movie could be, like, a, a rotten tomato.
3: Absolutely. It could be 29% or something. Oh,
2: wow. <laughs> we won't ask for examples here, because, you know, we're, we're, we're in polite company. Mm-hmm. So, the... What are some of the films? So you, and you do TV. So there's not TV. Po- I guess there's billboards and stuff for television, right? Yeah, yeah. But but what are what are some of the recognizable things that we would know that you've designed?
3: Um, so Orange Is the New Black was one big one. Some American Horror Story for FX. I worked on a few years in a row. Um, what else? There's a lot. Um, hidden Figures. We talked about earlier. Those are some of the really big ones. So.
2: Spider-Man, I think you said. Yeah,
3: right. I've worked on that. Um, I So sometimes you work on posters and it doesn't get finished, but it might be a secondary piece too or used as an international poster because there are different markets. Oh, really? Yeah. So like things like that will be like, okay, it's not used as the billboard or something here in the United States, but it might still get used um, in a totally another market as well. So that, that'll happen as well.
2: So they they pay you for your work, and then may or may not use it?
3: Most of the time, not use it. (laughs) Really? Yeah. Majority of my work is not used and doesn't see the light of day.
2: So have you ever designed a poster and and they didn't use it and they paid you, and then you saw the poster and said, oh, man, mine was better than that?
3: Yeah. Not, I feel like that might happen once in a while, but usually not because by the time it's gone through a few more revisions, it's gotten better, and there's been also retouchers that have worked on it or um, other people that have put an input. So I feel like a lot of times it holds up pretty good. Like, I, or I can see, oh, I get, I get why they chose that over mine. That happens all the time too.
2: So like, doing this kind of work, you have to realize that other people are going to mess with it.
3: Yeah, yeah. Lots of other people. There's a lot of cooks in the kitchen usually.
2: So do you ever feel like that when someone's retouched that or done things, you thought, oh, you just took a Sharpie and drew a mustache on the (laughs) Mona Lisa there?
3: Yeah, that does happen. And then you'd kind of get – you have to let it go a little bit and not give up. You're still working on it. But, like, let go of some of the attachment to the way you wanted it to look from the beginning or the idea you had. So you
2: have to be pretty secure in your self-esteem to be a movie poster designer.
3: Yeah, or just – go through the rock tumbler and eventually you're smoother than you were when you started you don't have to be so secure at first I definitely wasn't I definitely still struggle with that it's it's tough um, but you do build up a resiliency to it and you're like eh, okay there'll be another one tomorrow huh. you keep trying
2: so thank you That's that'll lead us into what I want to talk to after the break but we're going to take our first break and as we've talked about and if you've listened to the show before you know, that we ask our guests to select some songs that that resonate with them that we play. And uh, the one we're going to play now is one called How Come You Do Me by The Cramps. So can you tell me a little bit about this song and why you chose it?
3: I love this song. Um, The first time I heard The Cramps, I was just really excited. I also chose this song because it's Halloween and it's October and it feels like the right mood for the... This time of month.
2: Great. So this is How Come You Do Me by The Cramps.
1: That was How Come You Do Me by the Cramps. You are listening to the Apex Radio Hour here on KSUU Thunder 91.1. I'll turn it back to you, Ryan.
2: Thank you, Sophie. So we're here with Sarah Ford, a movie poster designer, among many other brilliant talents. So I want to talk about creativity. Mm -hmm. Because what you do is obviously in in a creative field. So I'm sure that you get stuck sometimes and and move forward and and I'm sure there are specifically what I would imagine in the world of Hollywood and entertainment there's you know perspective and and expectations and and you know we always think about the the glam and the glitz versus the actual real mm-hmm. muck that you work mm-hmm. through. So the first thing I want to ask is how does how do you define creativity?
3: Mm. I really like I like that question a lot and I like the um I like the idea that anything can be really creative. So many times I, I do hear people say they're not creative people or they, I don't have a creative bone in my body. I hear that line a lot. And um, it turn it seems to me creativity is, you know, of that essence, of the word creating. So already everybody we know has created something. Um, I think gardening can be creative, I think making soup can be creative all kinds of things and so um all of it though right if we create something and it doesn't turn out like our expectations say I want to create this really good soup recipe that I had at this restaurant and then I go home and I try to create it and it turns out terrible then all of a sudden I think that is pretty much the moment people decide if they're a creative person or not if it didn't turn out the way they expected They might label it, oh, I'm not creative. But if you notice, like, oh, there's a lot of room here to grow and figure out how to still get there, it almost becomes just, like, science or um, learning anything. I'm not going to know how to play a symphony right off the beginning when I pick up an instrument. It takes practice and dedication and doing it over and over again um, until you get get it to somewhere you like. And then, like, even with a poster, like, I might have a direction I want to head, and it might not be able to get there, and it might go in its own new direction and be something totally different than I even expected, but it lands in a way of the feeling that I was going for that can happen too. And I think that's true in photography a lot. So as can, well. you,
2: can you tell me about a time when when you really, in your life, whether it's in your movie poster design or in your other endeavors, really felt? inspired by creativity, right? The, 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 the eureka moment or when the light came on. Mm. Is there a time that you can think of when that happened to you? Um,
3: you know, it's, it hasn't been like that. It hasn't been like a light switch that turns on. Like sometimes I might go to a movie or like look at George O'Keeffe's paintings. But even then, it's like... I go home and I might even forget about what just happened. It's more of a building. So like doing a practice every day of drawing for 10 minutes in the morning or writing a little bit each day. And most of it is crap. Most of it you don't even wanna look at again. There's a practice of actually not looking at it again, setting it aside and still doing it again the next day. And then eventually from that, there is a bit of a light bulb that happens where all of a sudden, it's like it's like a, seeing something sprout, and you're like, "Oh, there it is! There's the thing that I was hoping I would get to." But it isn't just so quick as I think um, most of us would hope it would be. <laughs> it's actually just over and over and over again. That's been my experience.
2: So we we've talked. I mean, in general, you know, some people say that creativity comes from like an internal, an internal source, an internal well. Others say that that creativity is is an external thing that happens. How is it for you?
3: Mm. So um, I have dyslexia and ADD, and a lot of times in school growing up, it was really challenging for me. I didn't know I had those things. And so it was really, there was this lack of understanding a way to communicate with words or in a traditional sense of academia um, that I wasn't really able to get, what I was feeling or thinking inside out because I would just not have the words for it but what started to happen is I could draw something or I could make something with my hands or maybe like even just a crafting project and all of a sudden it started to feel the way I was feeling when I would see it and I was like oh that's closer than what words can ever do and that's closer to what I'm trying to show the world and so just because of the way my brain is it doesn't always translate in the way of words it a lot of times translates visually
2: so in that in that sense about translating things visually mm-hmm. what what would the movie poster of your life look like
3: oh that is a great question oh It'd Um, that's really really tough to answer but I think it would have to include some kind of montage with lots of different parts to it because there's definitely parts of my life that I feel like are so far past um, it doesn't even feel like this lifetime anymore Uh, you know living multiple lifetimes in one lifetime maybe multiple movie posters
2: so I can scroll past and choose the, yeah. the part of your life that I. Yeah,
3: yeah. Maybe
2: that's how it works in the next life, you know, when when we all have our life movie played, is that we can go through and or people can go through and say, oh, this is the scene I want to see. Right. So, no, don't see that scene. Um, like yeah, in life or something. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Your your bandwidth is messed up. So we we are on campus here have talked a lot about uh, mental health and anxiety and depression and those kinds of things. Do you do you see any relationship in your life between creativity and art and and overcoming anxiety, depression, those kinds of things?
3: Yeah, absolutely. Um, all of those things, and music too. And, um, and so I grew up with a lot of depression and anxiety, and sometimes those can swing back and forth. Even today, and working with those things, when I when I do have sort of a practice of creation every day like I said writing or doodling or something for myself uh, there is a tendency for the anxiety or depression to lessen and what I've come to find out is when you're drawing when you're writing when you're playing music it brings you all into the present moment it's really difficult to actually be thinking about the past or the future if you're creating something you have to be in the moment now. Uh, so I think that in this way, whatever a creator is creating can help alleviate a lot of anxiety and depression.
2: You know it reminds me that reminds me of a quote that uh, a guy named David o. McKay said that that I can tell you like who I'm paraphrasing who a person is if you can tell me what they're thinking about when they're not thinking about anything at all.
3: Mm. right I mean I think
2: it's this idea of of it's it's hard to be when you're focused on the present yeah reflective of of you know focus on where you are you know it's a little bit different it's like what does Yoda say you know where are you where are you are what you are doing yeah, yeah. not about not about the past so what what are, you know a lot of people have you know songs or whatever music that when they're feeling in a certain mood they want to play sad or happy or, or whatever is there art that inspires you that way
3: oh sure yeah tons of art Um, The Basquiat show I just went to in Los Angeles was amazing. Uh, He had a real way of allowing what he was feeling to come out onto a painting and just kind of break down all rules and barriers that maybe was set before. Sometimes destructive art can be really inspiring to me. So creating something and then destroying it and that freedom of impermanence and that it's actually not something we hang on to forever it's like everything it dies to. I find that really helpful for my mental health, but also just to actually be able to create something and then destroy it is pretty liberating. Have you done that? Yeah, yeah. Feels really good. I wow. did this um, art installation piece uh, to create a safe space at, when I was at in university last year where I dried flowers um, for about three years. I was drying these flowers in my garage. And then I hung them all. I spent maybe a week hanging them on string so that it created an entire installation piece that was almost like a room full of dried hanging flowers. And then crumpled them all up and put them back in the earth. And it it was amazing. It was just for that one moment. It took three years to collect, to build, we had a practice together in it. It felt really safe, and um, we were able to share in community and then watch it dissolve. You get to start all over.
2: Oh. I don't know what to say after <laughs> that. That's, that's pretty impressive. I don't know that I would have the self-esteem. Well done. Uh, well done. So when we talk about in, – I'm interested in your opinion on this as a professional. So – if, you know, they talk about mood boards or idea boards or boards of inspiration as you're designing mm-hmm. a home or whatever else. So if you had a binder in front of you of a number of movie posters, not films, but movie posters that you have been inspired by or you think are, there's something special here. I'm interested to see what that list would be.
3: hmm the list and recall is a little tough but uh, first comes to mind is Don Bailey's poster Silence of the Lambs I've told you about that also and has the uh, moth over Jodie Foster's mouth and then within the moth is a, s- a skull and within the skull is actually two figures of two women and um, she she was really inspirational and I actually didn't know that was her poster f- till after I'd known her for a little while and put that together and that was amazing um what else i i love the x files poster another friend of mine chris saint george he designed it in uh the two main characters
2: scully and Mulder. yeah
3: scully and Mulder. they're walking and as they cross their shadows create a giant x It blew my mind um there's so many there's a ton
2: what did uh what what do you think your best work is so tough. What would you think those two friends of yours would say? Mm. Oh, this is a Sarah Ford.
3: (laughs) It would probably be something with uh, female characters. Probably probably when I was working on American Horror Story with The Coven, that was pretty exciting. Or Orange is the New Black. I really love doing character banners and getting closer to characters and people and figuring out what they are like individually. So that was really fun.
2: Describe what a character banner is.
3: Sure. So character banner is a poster, which is a one-sheet. So it's one poster of each um, character in the story, so in the movie. And you're focusing in just on them, so they get their whole poster. And a lot of times there's like a theme that goes with it. So they'll all look together like they work together. But you're really talking about each individual character in its own way.
2: And they do those often?
3: yeah bigger movies, bigger movies and TV shows'll do. you know we a lot of times as the designers will suggest them along with the one sheet. so we, we'll have to design the one sheet first and then we'll say, this would be a great movie to have some character banners for and then also pitch that along with the original. Cool. yeah.
2: cool. Well, let's move on to our our next break and this mm-hmm. this song actually the the group that I'd never heard of, and I spent some significant time. Listening to their music. In fact, I think when you walked into my office, I was listening to this, this group as well. This is uh, Bell and Sebastian, mm-hmm. and the song is called "The Blues Are Still Blue." So, why? Why? What's the story here?
3: Uh, Bell and Sebastian is a great indie band, and um, I definitely created a lot of movie posters listening to Bell and Sebastian, and uh, "The Blues Are Still Blue." It's you know. It talks about color and theory and how color relates to our life and definitely connects to creation.
2: Okay. So, this is The Blues Are Still Blue by Belle and Sebastian.
0: Fashion, the way he dresses, attracted to old the hoodies, wearing money for the kid with the will to funky dances in secret. He's a part-time punk. Now she's getting off the lane. She wants to write a thesis on the population and the privilege that kids fighting up the lane. Lifting, just drifting like the switchblade on the crossbow. If there's trouble, she's got the moves. She's taking an elementary class in Kung I left my washing in the laundrette. You can put some money on it, you can place a little bet that when I see my washing, the black will be gray and the white will be gray, but the blues are still blue. Crying now for my mom <laughs> If the malady don't go away, we're in a little trouble with the boss of the company I'm a singer, a swinger i am a to lay by the glen I'm the dark and the lazy summer because all creepin's just my way but with a little wink I'll be there. I'll be be excited for a week but then excitement starts to fade. I know you're young but you're out of touch. Your friendship vocabulary's not quite full. I let my
1: That was The Blues Are Still Blue by Belle and Sebastian. You're listening to the Apex Radio Hour here on K2U, Thunder 91.1. I'll turn it back to you, Ryan.
2: Thank you, Sophie. So let's, I want to talk about some other stuff that you Mm -hmm. you have done. Um, I I know that you have, am I saying this correct, a a Buddhist master's in divinity, Mm -hmm. uh, and, and you I don't know if describe yourself is the best way, but as a secular Buddhist, mm-hmm. so I'd like to really talk about your your spiritual journey and how this comes about.
3: Yeah, um, that's a it's a fun question for me. I found myself uh, with a lot of anxiety and a lot of depression, and working in the entertainment industry, it was I was pretty stressed out at my late twenties. And a therapist had recommended that I try some meditation. And I honestly, at that point, probably rolled my eyes and (laughs) laughed and was like, no, that's some woo-woo stuff. I'm not doing that. And then she kept recommending it. And then I'd hear about it from somewhere else. And I thought, "Okay, well, maybe I'll give this a shot. And it was really a shot out of (coughs) desperation. I was really struggling mentally, um, just feeling comfortable at all in social such situations. I was working really late hours. I was using too many uh, coping mechanisms that weren't helpful like alcohol. And um, I found, I looked on the internet and I found a meditation studio by a um, guy named Noah, Noah Levine. And he's an old punk rock guy who started this meditation hall in Los Angeles called Against the Stream. So I went to one of their sits, and I thought, okay, we'll give this a try. And they ended up having different meditations, different nights. You could try all kinds of things. And so different teachers, I kept going back. I started to make some friends and have a little bit of community there. That was really helpful for me. That was separate from the work I was doing. And eventually I found my meditation teacher there. Uh, his name is George Haas, and he does a lot of work on meditation and attachment theory. and. He eventually started his own group called Meta Group, and I just kept sitting with him. And then he'd encourage me to do silent retreats. So a silent meditation retreat is um, going and sitting in silence and not talking to anybody and meditating from 6 a.m. <laughs> until 10 p.m. for 10 days in a row. <laughs> that was wild. But I kind of like extreme things. And so to me, it was a little bit like, cool, let's see what happens. So, I
2: mean, can I you? Yeah, so, sure. like... Are you sitting with other people? Yes. It's like you're sitting in, in a room. Yes. I mean,
3: Yeah, for for 10 days in a dark the- room, like a big large hall, and you wake up, there's a bell that rings, and you wake up and you go and you sit in the morning. You don't talk when you all go to the cafeteria and eat, and then you go back and you keep sitting. Sometimes you do walking meditation, um, and then you go back and you just keep sitting. And there's some light instructions. So you're not just like... <coughs> Uh, guessing here, there's leaders who are helping, that have designed the retreat and helping you figure out what's the next best step. So you're working also on things like forgiveness and um, being in the present moment and um, lots of really helpful things that you can look at that are deeper inside than maybe your day-to-day life, especially when you're so busy working all the time or taking care of people. Um, So I did that and eventually i did that for quite a many years and eventually george was going to start um his own center in los angeles right before covid came and then that scratched it but he suggested that i i said i basically said oh i want to come help with your center and i was thinking volunteer <laughs> and he was like well you need a degree for that and that started my wheels turning on do i what do i want to go get a degree what would it be in and how do i do that and he pointed me towards the Buddhist MDiv degree at University of the West um, in Rosemead. It was really close by. It's a beautiful campus. It was COVID, so I had some time, and um, a lot of the classes were online at the beginning, so that made it a little easier to to decide to do it. Um, and then I, when my internship was working in spiritual care at the Children's Hospital in Los Angeles, which is a trauma tri- triage hospital, and you're an interfaith chaplain is the role. So you're there to support any faith and people with no faith. Um, and being there probably one of the most horrific or challenging points in their life where their children might have cancer or might have had a terrible accident. Maybe they passed away. It's absolutely difficult. This is my best word, it's very difficult. And being there for the family and trying to help their spiritual needs get met and Really just practicing deep listening was a huge shift in um, my whole practice. And so I was lucky enough to have that opportunity all summer last summer, and it was pretty life-changing for me.
2: So what—forgive me, what is the definition then of a secular Buddhist?
3: Yeah, um, I I, I was always wondering that too because I, I, I probably— started out agnostic as a child and then was a pretty hardcore atheist for a long time and then I started meditation and using buddhist practices and some people would say um, well buddhism is a philosophy it's not a religion then I was like well some people it's a religion for." Um, and then a secular buddhist is really defining on truth so if what is truth so is buddhism um the truth everything like uh, maybe Christians might feel like Christianity is the truth of everything I still feel very open about not knowing what the truth is but I have a very strong Buddhist practice that helps guide me and is very helps me with morals and um, ethical values and things like that
2: so this this journey that you've you've been on has I mean centered you I mean focused you is that what you would say I mean you're obviously a different person yeah. on the other end of this. Yeah, yeah.
3: Those are those are great words for it, but it, it's been such a long slow process that they also feel like maybe not enough to explain it all either, you know. Um waking up and meditating every morning versus just getting up and going is a very different way for me to live and it's something that's built slowly over time in the same way of creating things every day like I just started to notice that these little patterns influence my life in a really big way. And actually the big things that I do to try to change my life don't have nearly the impact as the very small decisions.
2: I've got some brilliant point. The idea that <coughs> excuse me, these small practices have have led to bigger things, right? I mean you often think of the the funnel as wide at the top and narrow at the bottom. Mm-hmm. But in, in, if I'm correct, if I'm wrong, you're you're inverting that idea that, mm-hmm. that that things were wide at the bottom and now they're becoming more focused and narrow at the top.
3: Yeah, yeah. And I, I think that um, by learning to pay attention to my thoughts, by learning to pay attention to my physical and body sensations while I'm working, I started to just notice that these deadlines that I was on in the entertainment industry really were kind of meaningless to me. Like people would be really stressed out about getting – type right over to the poster and eventually it was like well if I'm going to be this stressed out maybe there's a way I can do it where it's more meaningful or not be this stressed out (laughs) one of the two because it really doesn't feel worth it the amount of tax on my system of worrying about something that doesn't really matter that much
2: so do you feel that that you live more deliberately now
3: oh absolutely yeah more intentionally and um uh there's just like a reminder to come back to what is important and so i think that is the deliberate hope i can have each day
2: so i guess the the next question then is in in your and i realize this is different sure. for everybody but but what's important what's important to you
3: mm-hmm. um kindness kindness is probably the most important thing to me I've just seen it transform all kinds of people in all kinds of ways. And myself, just learning to be kind to myself has transformed me. And if we can all learn to be kinder to ourselves, we're actually then nicer to each other also. It's pre- it sounds so simple and it's a lot of work.
2: <laughs> it's interesting that you you we were talking the other day about this this decision that, that you had deliberately made in your life about the direction of your your career, mm-hmm. and you had not reached where you I mean you you had not begun this spiritual journey yet, right? When you made that decision, or were you in the process? I, mean, I, I was, guess
3: it was a longer process because that was probably two thousand sixteen, and I had started meditation in two thousand ten, so it's probably six years into pretty regular practice of meditation. So,
2: you would you be willing to share that experience?
3: yeah um i was i f- I had finally worked as a creative director, which was something I had been striving for and trying to get through to and there were very few women creative directors um that I even knew of so I was really excited things were going pretty well honestly um but I was working a ton of hours in uh pretty toxic environments, and eventually it just there was an opportunity. Where the company I was working at was going to have layoffs, and I decided that it was just time for me to also go and work for myself because it seemed like I was able to have a little bit more freedom in working for myself than I would when I was working with directly with an agency where I was being emailed and called in the middle of the night or on the weekends and constantly just being inundated with work and to do things and and everybody else was too so we were all stressed out in the same way but by working for myself I was able to just manage the amount of time I was spending working and that was really valuable to me and mostly for my nervous system I can't say like it was like oh I'm gonna do this because this is the right thing to do but at that time I had finally had a partner that supported me and supported the decision so it made it easier and um I just didn't want to feel so stressed all the time, and I didn't know else how to do it.
2: So, I mean, that's the the, the, the typical uh, the trajectory of of something that you would do is you work in this creative agency, and then you start your own, right? And you other oh, yeah. people work for you, and you're the one that's yeah that's pitching and selling business mm-hmm. and managing other people.
3: And that started to happen pretty early on, and I started to hire other people. To help me out with projects because I was getting agent uh, clients directly from the studios and that was really I mean I, I guess I would have thought that should be really exciting and like all arrows pointing towards go and all arrows pointed away and they were red and they were like no 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 you're going to be working even harder you're going to be even more stressed out than you ever were and I just decided not to pursue that and stick to just as a freelancer where I can work with an agency who already has tools in place to help negotiate a lot more than I could do.
2: And they just call you and say... And
3: they call me, yeah, and a lot of times it's my friends and it's people I miss and care about, and we get to work together again, so that's really lovely. Um, they call me and they might say, are you busy this week, can we book you for a week, or this month, depending on how much work they have, and right now those calls are slim to none because the actors and writers are on strike, and so is, the, or the writers are no longer strike, but the actors are still on strike.
2: So do you find it difficult to separate work from Sarah Ford? Or, or, or with this, the, the new, <coughs> I don't know if enlightenment's the right word, but with this new path that you're on, like, yeah. um, do you feel that you've reached that balance?
3: Yeah, you know, there was, um, I don't feel near enlightened. I do feel that I'm more authentically myself. I don't feel, I think there was a moment there when I was starting to meditate that I was embarrassed to tell people I was meditating, you know, it felt like a little bit like, oh, that's my secret, I'm doing this thing on the side. (laughs) And then eventually I started telling people and they're like, oh, that's cool. Or really just supportive. I had the opposite reaction and I was, started to live more how I wanted to live. And so that matched with who I was internally. And things started to feel more like I could actually just be myself. And then that I would show up into agencies with that more authentic self and be able to say, you know, no, that doesn't really work for me. I can't do that. I had to learn to say no, too. That was a huge part of it. A lot of times I would just do things because they needed it done, and learning to say, well, that's actually not going to work out was a process.
2: Which is kind of an un-Hollywood-seam way,
3: right? Yeah, yeah. It's not very Hollywood at all. You want to say yes, (laughs) yes man
2: yeah thank you that's amazing um let's let's go into our our final break with with another song that uh, more and more makes complete sense to me why you chose it but I'm interested to hear what you have to say this this song is called rebel girl by bikini kill
3: yes I'm so glad you chose this one to share I mean bikini Kill's amazing um and so inspiring of being a female in a world that's predominantly male art directors, that's, that's it.
2: Okay, well, let's hear uh, Rebel Girl by Bikini Kill.
1: That was Rebel Girl by Bikini Kill. You are listening to the Apex Radio Hour here on KCUU, Thunder 91.1. I'll turn it back to you, Ryan.
2: Thank you, Sophie. And we are so excited that you're back for this part of the show. Woo. If you've heard our show before, or our podcast, this is the the last segment that we talk about, about what's bringing you joy this week. So we'll start uh, with you. Sarah Ford, what are you currently watching, reading, listening to, or playing that is bringing you joy? Just one. You can say as many as you want.
3: Oh. So uh, this is maybe a little bit of a surprise. Uh, there's there's a book called uh, Love and Rage by Lama Rod Owens that I'm reading right now, and it's really about how your anger is also your liberation, and it's amazing. It's so good. Um, I recommend that, and it's just been allowing me to feel angry when I feel angry just having the actual feelings you have um he's just really inspiring to I like to do audiobooks by the way so I'm not actually reading this he's inspiring to listen to and then um the other thing that's been bringing me joy is um taking long hikes and I just hiked Mount Baldy not that long ago in California and that was really hard and I had been Wanting to do it for maybe 15 years, so it felt like a huge accomplishment. And also, I couldn't breathe. And at the top, I was, we were, my friend and I, Jitsujo, we were taking step by step and being like, okay, just take five steps and then stop and breathe. Take five steps, stop and breathe. Over and over and over again.
2: I often have that, you know, when when me as a bald guy walk into the room, people will stop and have to pause to take a breath. Great. yeah. Thank you Thank very you. much. Evan Miller, what are you currently watching, reading, listening to, or playing that is bringing you joy?
1: Yeah. So um, during the break, we discussed a little bit. I know it's not bringing me joy is my statistics textbook. So <laughs> that has been uh, consuming a lot of my time. But I usually listen to a lot of music while studying. And a lot of my music has just become dull. And I just need something new. And so I started listening to a podcast. Uh, it's called the game with Alex Formozy. It's based around business, but he had a really good one um, that was talking about ignoring doubt and embracing success and just how uh, it's reminded, me, reminded me a lot with uh, just what Sarah's been talking about with her art and something so vulnerable it can you can put a lot on the line with, with putting something personal out and just putting a lot of time into something. So uh, I thought that was, that was awesome and to embrace that success that comes and embracing failure as well. so
2: Great. Thank you, Evan. Sophie Javage, what are you currently watching, reading, listening to, or playing that is bringing you joy?
1: Okay, so I grew up in Las Vegas, so I'm not used to cold weather, but here in Utah, it gets significantly colder, and it definitely snows. And I feel like, you know, with it being fall and it, like, transitioning into the winter, you know, it gets colder, you stay inside more. Um, I consume a lot more movies and stuff, and... Me and my roommates were decorating for Halloween last night, and we started Gilmore Girls. And that just brought me so much joy because I feel like it's just such a good fall movie. And I've been talking to all these different people about all the fall favorites that I want to get through. um, So I can truly appreciate and embrace fall. So that is what's been currently bringing me joy. You
2: you know, if the Internet ever goes down, by virtue of marriage, not that I have (laughs) this— We actually own the box set <gasps> oh, of the Gilmore Girls good to know. on the old-timey DVD.
3: <laughs> I was oh. going to say, do you have a DVD player, though?
2: We do have a DVD player. I actually have a VCR, too.
3: Amazing.
1: I mean, I don't use
2: it that often, but I...
1: Should I pretend I don't know what that is and ask you, like, oh, my gosh, Ryan, what's a VCR? <laughs> no, I actually no, no, do know no, what no, that no, is. I,
2: fun I, fact. I know your parents. I know your parents. <laughs> oh, my gosh. VCRs.
1: They cultured me.
2: They cultured yeah, me. They
1: did. <laughs> okay. Good people. Yes. Okay, Ryan. What are you currently watching, reading, listening to, or playing that is bringing you joy?
2: I am listening again and again and again to someone who I am constantly inspired by. No matter what mood you're in, I, I listen while I cook. I listen while I clean. I listen while I drive. And that is the music of Ella Fitzgerald. There is no, uh, you can't even describe it. I mean, in anything you want, and and I'll ask. You know, we have um, Amazon Music, so I'll ask. The many years ago, back in the the CD era, they released the complete songbooks of Ella Fitzgerald, so all her recordings, and and I just will say, ask Alexa to shuffle the the recording. That's like. Seventeen out. I mean, I don't listen to it for seventeen hours, but
3: but it's just I amazing
2: would. the range and idea of of that amazing woman and, and her voice. Her and voice talent. is is just incredible. So the music of Ella Fitzgerald is uh, is what is bringing me joy this week. So with that, we want to thank Sarah Ford for being here. We want to remind all of our listeners to. Uh, answer this question what will your story be as you ponder the next week and we're going to go out for the Apex Radio Hour with a song and I'm so glad you chose this band Uh, this dates me a little bit but Mm -hmm. this is the band Echo and the Bunny Men, and the song is Bring on the Dancing Horses so what do you have to say for us
3: Uh, first I have to say thank you to Sophie, Evan and you Ryan Paul thank you for having me and I just hope we can dance ourselves into the fall get through whatever the week brings and the next day and try not to be too heavy with it all okay
2: well thank you for listening to the apex radio hour this is bring on the dancing horses by echo and the bunny Man.
0: and all Jolly clown, no way home. Bring on the headless horses. Wherever